0: Breast cancer. Those are two words your patients don't want to hear, and news that you don't want to deliver. Unfortunately for one in eight American women, it's a truth they'll have to face in their lifetime. And the risks are clear. Besides being female, the two major risk factors for developing breast cancer are advancing age and family history. In fact, about 80% of women diagnosed with invasive breast cancer are age 50 and older. And while family history of the disease is an important risk factor, up to 80% of women diagnosed with breast cancer don't have one. Unfortunately, many women still have misperceptions about who is at risk. They think, I don't have a family history of breast cancer, so I don't need to worry. My mom had breast cancer, but I'm only 43. The good news is that with early detection, we can try to reduce the risk of breast cancer mortality. Through awareness and education, we hope to improve patients' willingness to be screened for breast cancer. To help in this effort, Lilly has created the Strength in Knowing Breast Cancer Awareness Program and website. It's designed to educate women about their individual risks and provide a means for them to share this knowledge with others. At strengthinknowing.com, women can hear from professionals as they discuss the importance of knowing the risks of breast cancer. Find out about events they can attend in their city, and help spread the message. The resources may also be helpful to you and your practice. There is strength in knowing about the risks of breast cancer. So spread the word today. Visit strengthinknowing.com and tell your patients to visit too.
1: I didn't realize I was at risk until I visited. I told my sister, my mother, and my aunt. This program is sponsored by Eli Lilly and Company. Answers that matter.
0: You are listening to Reach MD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly. Your host is Dr. Lawrence Stryker, Assistant Clinical Professor of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Northwestern University Medical School, the Feinberg School of Medicine.
1: The internet and direct to consumer marketing by pharmaceutical companies has resulted in patients obtaining much of their medical knowledge from sources other than their personal physician. Patients often arrive at their doctor's office armed with a wealth of information that may or may not be accurate, but that greatly impacts on the discussion they then have with their physician. The dialogue that ensues is often confrontational, resulting in a negative, frequently frustrating patient-doctor interaction. Today, to talk about effectively communicating with our patients to ensure that they have accurate medical information, we are joined by Dr. Jan Berger, a pediatrician on staff at Children's Memorial Hospital in Chicago and the senior vice president and chief clinical officer of CVS Caremark. Welcome, Dr. Berger. Thank you. Can you talk a little bit about the different communication styles that physicians use?
2: I'd be happy to. There are three major methodologies that physicians use in communicating with their patients, and most of us don't think about any one of them and say, this is the type of style I'm going to use. But the first one is commonly known as the paternalistic style. And that style is that we are educators. We talk to our patients. We talk at them. We are informational giving only and really take in very little of the values that a patient may have and an understanding of how much they do and do not understand of what we're saying. The second methodology is called the informed or consumerist method. And we all know, and physicians are hearing more and more today about patient consumerism, and patients are no longer being called patients, they're being called healthcare consumers. And really in that methodology, the patient is taking a much more active role in defining their issues and their problems for what they come to us for and what they want help on. We really are limited in that case to the research about the options that a patient may have in taking care of themselves, and they on their own make that decision. The third methodology, which is the most balanced methodology, and I would argue the one that most of us as physicians enjoy the most, is really an interactive communication style. We give information, but we also take in information about what's important to our patients their values, and it's much more interactive. We get much more energy from it, and actually there are outcomes that show the patients do the best in that kind of uh, relationship and communication interaction with their physician.
1: Well, given that, that you feel that the third method is the best, would you agree, though, that there are some patients that that really doesn't work for them? I mean, I've certainly had patients that say, I really don't want to know all this information. I just want you to tell me what to do. They like the Marcus Welby paternalistic approach. Do you think that that's valid for anybody?
2: Yes, I do. But if you listen to what you just said, you're taking in the patient's values and desires and then helping them with the information in a way that works for them best.
1: So we shouldn't force them to look at pictures of things that we're going to do if they don't want to see it.
2: Absolutely. But finding out how much they want to know early on. And then every once in a while throughout the relationship, because that may change, checking in again, if you will.
1: So then we have the opposite patient. We have the patient who doesn't want to know anything, who says, just tell me what to do. And then we have the patient who comes armed with information, which may be less than accurate, and they want to educate us, if you will. How do we deal with that patient without appearing confrontational and to make it a positive interaction?
2: Well, and I will give you an example. I had a patient three or four years ago who walked into my office, Their child had asthma, and they came in, no joke, with 175 pages off the Internet. And they wanted me at that moment to sit and read all of it and then discuss it with them. And it was very, it started out very confrontational. What I did do is thank them for the information and suggested that we have an initial conversation at that visit, but that they schedule a secondary visit, for us to go over the information that they gave me as well as following up on the information I gave them. It took a very confrontational situation and actually turned it around because they felt if I was asking them to come back that I was at least interested in what they had to say.
1: But what do you do, though, when the information that they are quite confident in, it they've presented to you, is really... Just bad information without being insulting, you know, without saying this is really ridiculous, this is not true. You don't want to say that, of course, but you have to deal with it.
2: I think there's two things. You can be proactive at the beginning of a patient-physician relationship, if at all possible, giving them a couple of websites that you do feel is good information so they aren't bopping all over getting bad information, which is very easy to do off the Internet. But let's say that hasn't happened early on in your relationship with the patient, and they do come in with those 175 pages. At that second visit, when you talk to them, you can tell them that's very interesting and that there's a variety of opinions on whatever you're talking to them about, but that you follow and if it's a national guideline or your specialty society, you know, whether it's ACOG or something else, that this is what you have found has been the best outcomes out there. And that's why you want the best for them, and that's why you rely on that.
1: You're listening to Advances in Women's Health on REACH MD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Jan Berger about the best way to effectively communicate with our patients. So, Dr. Berger, in trying to help our patients understand what's good information and what's not, do you ever try and talk about evidence-based medicine as opposed to popular, I wish it was true medicine? Help me on this one, because I have not found a really good way to help patients understand what is evidence-based medicine.
2: Well, first of all, part of our problem is that we we utilize the term evidence-based medicine And that's lingo that we're very used to. Lay people don't understand what that means. So talking about that once you agree on what you want the patient's outcome to be and the patient and you agree on that, saying that it has been shown by looking at many people who have conditions similar to yours that the best chance of getting the outcome you want is through this method. And that that, by saying it in those terms, that's something they can understand. They want the best outcome that you all have agreed on.
1: Yeah, the problem, of course, we run into is the general mistrust of the medical profession and feeling that the pharmaceutical companies are profit-motivated, which they are, but so are the alternative companies, and they don't understand that. I run into it, of course, as a gynecologist with women trying to treat their menopausal symptoms with all kinds of alternative treatments that have no scientific basis and that are not evidence-based, but it's hard to convince patients that, you know, that's not the way to go for just those reasons. Let me ask you this. There, there seems to be a great deal of press around health literacy. What is health literacy exactly, and, and how does it affect the way that we communicate with our patients?
2: And that's an excellent question. We are finding more and more, as research has been done, that patients don't understand a great portion of what we are saying to them. You had talked about evidence-based medicine. This is a term that we utilize every day, that a common patient who may be highly educated but not in the healthcare field does not understand. And so it's very important that, number one, we don't assume that people who have health literacy problems are only those with low education levels, or have who have difficulty reading. That is one issue. But it is also understanding the terms we use and then being able to act on them.
1: So how do we know? How do we know if a patient has understood what we've just communicated with them?
2: There's a method that is suggested called teach-back. And that is after we explain something to a patient or have a conversation with them, asking them to almost teach back or tell you what you just said or asking them a question that will help clarify if they understood you. So if you are talking about taking a medication and you're explaining what the medicine is for and how they should take it, ask them now to kind of repeat back to you what you just said. So I've just told you about a medicine. What time of day do you think you're going to take it? That gives you an idea, did they understand it? And what things can you swallow that pill with and not? And maybe it's something you've told them they shouldn't drink citrus juice or grapefruit juice. And they say, no, I'm going to take it with water. You have some understanding that they heard you, understood you, and can then go on their own and do it. It's called self-efficacy.
1: Now, increasingly, we hear about physicians that utilize videos in the office. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think this is a good way to communicate with a patient?
2: Yes, actually I do, but it's just as important in the videos that patients are explained in ways and in terms that they can understand. So health literacy is just as important on a video or in a written handout that you may give them, as it is with you.
1: Well, I wish to thank our guest, Dr. Jan Berger, for helping us with the daunting task of communicating effectively with our patients.
0: Thank you for listening to Advances in Women's Health, sponsored in part by Eli Lilly, with your host, Dr. Lawrence Stryker. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, please go to ReachMD.com forward slash women's health.